The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Uh, right off the bat, I have to give a quick shout-out to my alma mater and wish the uh, boys of Villanova University basketball good luck tonight in the championship game. We will all be watching and rooting for them. Um, I'd also like to give out our call-in number. If you're listening and you'd like to be a part of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can do so by calling 888-329-3306. That's 888 888- Three two nine thirty three zero six, and be sure to visit our website for all things women to watch. Um, you can find out about our upcoming guests and events that we're involved in at womentowatch.net, and that is women the number two watch.net net. Uh, I am so excited to have uh, a, an incredible guest with me this afternoon, a woman I have great admiration for and have been following. Um, her work for quite some time. Her name is Jackie Zayner. Jackie is the CEO and president of Women Moving Millions, and she is a, an, an incredible advocate for women and girls. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to, to have you here. I think we connected quite a while ago, so I'm, I'm so excited to finally have you in the studio and on the show. It is great to be here, and thank you for this amazing program. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And um, tell me where you're calling from today. I know you, you do a lot of traveling. You're all over the world. I am. I, I am all over the world, but I am uh, in my home at, in Park City, Utah at the moment. Okay. That's wonderful. What, what's it like there today? We've had such incredibly unusual uh, weather patterns this year. Yeah, we've had them here as well. Obviously, Park City is a mega ski town. We're the home of Deer Valley and Park City and the canyon. So um, that said, it's been uh, really warm. Actually, I think it got into like the mid or high 60s, but I, it's still a blue sky day, and I, there's still snow on the mountaintop. So a couple more days left of skiing, and then the season is over. Yeah, well, that sounds wonderful. Um, so listen, Jackie, you, I know, are very familiar with um, our program and, and what we're all about. And as we spoke uh, about, you know, the first time we connected, I, I think it's really important when we're sharing stories of accomplished women such as you uh, that we really get to the backstory and, and talk uh, about where you came from and, and what are some of the experiences and adversities that shaped you and led you to the work that you do today. So I'd love for you to talk for a few minutes about who the young Jackie uh, Zayner was growing up in Canada. Uh, gosh, I was just thinking about this and prep for this call. Well, yes, I did grow up in British Columbia, Canada, actually, a small town uh, called Kelowna. And as I share with my children, who are now um, 18 and 16, it was the day when there were, you know, two channels on television and 
and uh, you know, no internet, nothing. I'm I'm 51, so you know, dating back to the 1960s, it seems like so long ago now. Uh, but <laughs> I hope it. not, because we're the same age. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I think we determined that on our first call. Right. Once I once you cross over 50, I don't know. It's crossing over to the dark side. The no, light no, side. no. It's yeah, the beginning, right? It's, it's the, the beginning, beginning of the I second half. Yes. Yes. My friend has this saying. It's the you know F. Excuse me. I didn't say the bad word. Um, Fu 50s. Uh, when oh. you become who you are in the world, right? And, yes. and bring all your all your power to it. Um, but yeah, I grew up in a small town in Canada, and I think you know that I. It's funny when I tell my story. I think the most significant thing in terms of you know the prep, what I did. I mean, it was a very small town, Canada. Uh, but what I got into. Uh, very early on when I was uh, a teenager was bodybuilding, believe it or not. I know you probably weren't expecting that. I don't not at all. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <about that>, <laughs> um, but I had a background, you know, I was a good student. I did lots of sports. But it really, I got into competitive bodybuilding when I was a teenager, um, in large part because I had a boyfriend named Mario who was a bricklayer and a bodybuilder and drove a Corvette and took me to the gym and wow. um, that experience is actually now, you know, when I look back and think sort of what were those moments or what were those decisions that were sort of pivotal, that was really one of them because I, you know, obviously ended up with a career on Wall Street, which we'll, we'll jump forward to. But I think those early years of being, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 and spending endless hours in the gym, like pumping iron with, you know, all the other dudes really prepared me <laughs> for a future career on the trading floor. Oh, my gosh. I love that. And that is not something I pictured um, in your background, Jackie. Not at all. Um, yeah. Well, and it was, you know, it's, so I, I was a competitive bodybuilder. I went to college, ended up going to uh, school in Vancouver, the University of British Columbia, and studied uh, finance, um, even though that was certainly not the path that I was Heading down, I thought I'd maybe get a degree in psychology and go to law school, but sort of fell in love with business um, when I met uh, some students at the time that were in the program and just was like, wow, you know, this is so interesting. My dad was a small business owner. So was my mom, actually. I kind of have, an, I guess, an entrepreneurial, you know, a little bit of entrepreneurial blood in my, my system. Um, mm -hmm. But I ended up studying finance, and when I started uh, transitioning to look for a job, again, this is back in 1988, um, in the field of finance, I actually think it was having being a competitive bodybuilder and having you know that on my resume is what sort of perked some interest. So uh, I ended up getting my first job um, in 1988 in at Goldman Sachs, um, being hired. You know, made that move from small town Canada to big city New York, and gosh, you know, a lot changed since then. Jackie, tell me what it what was it about the bodybuilding that that you feel. Um you know, had an effect on you, other than the obvious, you know, the, the strength, the tra strength training that, that goes along with that. But was it something that also kind of helps to um, build strength in your thinking as well? I guess so. I mean, when I look back, and of course I have children now, and I think about parenting a lot and sort of what my parents might have done, you know, well, um, but, yeah, I think it was discipline. I, I learned pretty early on. I mean, having to starve yourself um, to get in competition shape, shape was really tough, and obviously the hours in the gym. 
But, you know, something else, and I know Amy Cuddy is, is, a, is your guest next week, and I'm actually reading her book, Presence, right now. Oh, and, I you know, well. I kind of, when I first saw her TED Talk with the power pose, you know, mm-hmm. I was literally, literally power posing. You yeah. know, that was my, yeah. I was on stage in a bikini all greased up power posing. So, you know, I think this, the ability to, um, you know, be on stage, obviously in a very vulnerable way, you are in a bikini, um, you know, just gave me a lot of confidence. And I think achievements, whether they be in sport or, you know, my daughter's a, um, in volleyball or debate, you know, just, just sort of putting yourself in a competitive um, uh, environment. Um, and for me, that was, and I did other things, of course, too. But I think of that had a lot. And, and, and it really helped build my, my confidence, I guess, you know, that anything was, was really possible. Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely the confidence piece of it. I mean, it takes a lot of confidence to do something like that and, and put yourself out there um, in front of audiences in a vulnerable way. Um, Jackie, I want the listeners to understand that you uh, were the youngest woman and first female trader to be invited into the partnership of Golden Sachs, and, and that is a very big deal. Uh, that was back in 1996, I believe. Correct. Yeah. And so I, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say I started my career there in 1988 as an analyst, and it's still, you know, a way where most um, young people out of undergraduate get hired into these programs where you come for two years and either are invited to stay or invited to go back to school and maybe pursue an MBA. But I, I started my career in the mortgage-backed securities area as an analyst and was invited to stay on a couple of years later and join the trading floor. So that was ninth, the beginning of 1990, uh, if you can believe it. And at a time where, you know, obviously not a lot of women um, traders, there were a few, but I, I built my career as a mortgage-backed bond trader, um, going from sort of trading a a small book of business into something bigger and eventually man- managing the desk. And, and yes, it, was, it happened actually super quickly um, to be made partner that, that early in my career was, um, was certainly very transformational, I think. And a big reason was not just, you know, hopefully the money I made for the firm and doing a good job as a market maker and in client relationships. But it was very early on that I, I really got involved in um, diversity work at the, f- the firm and taking a, a very active role in, in making sure that, that Goldman Sachs, is, as much as I was able, uh, was a meritocratic um, place and encouraging more women to enter the field of finance. So was that intentional on your part to do that and, and get that role? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because I, I wonder how much is my sort of older brain looking back on it versus what was true at the time. Uh, but I would say it was in very intentional. Um, you know, I had uh, obviously an incredible career. Goldman is an incredible firm to to have a career um, at, and um, you know, it's generally speaking, incredibly positive experiences. But I did have some challenging uh, experiences also, especially early on um, with one. Uh, of my managers and particularly ex- experienced some sexual um, harassment in a way that, you know, frankly almost led me to quit. And, you know, I had, you know, one of these sort of epiphany moments after a particularly um, bad uh, situation where I knew that it was like, you know, I could stay and I'm going to have to figure out how to make this work. And 
Um, but it was, for me, you know, having a background where I never really sort of experienced gender discrimination or just didn't have that in my world. You know, I was like a girl who could do, you know, anything. I just didn't really think about it. And then to have an experience like that and to get through it, um, it, really, it really woke me up um, to the realities, um, certainly, that I was facing in my own professional experience, um, but what others were likely facing. So it sort of, it was... Um, perhaps a gradual process to really getting involved with the firm's um, efforts around diversity. And remember, this was, gosh, 25 years ago when, you know, few firms were doing anything other than trying to hire women. There certainly weren't the women's networks and the sensitivity trainings and everything that there are today. But, you know, I think it was intentional, you know, brought upon by my my own personal experience. Mm. So tell me, what do you think it was that got you over that very specific experience. In other words, that that's something that would happen to um, other women, and that would send them right out the front door. What was it? What were you saying to yourself that allowed you to not let that um, change your your course? I think, you know, I think in hindsight, I did love my job so much, um, and it was incredible. It was so challenging, and I knew it was an industry that I loved and wanted to be in. Um, and generally speaking, I worked with amazing people, men and women. So, you know, thankfully it was more of an isolated experience, although it was, you know, my manager at the time, so that was really difficult. Um, but I, I don't know, I guess it was just realizing that you can't, you know, one person should not change the trajectory of my life in such a, you know, a, a huge way, um, but it was diffi- it was really difficult, and I'm I'm really sensitive to it to this day. In fact, I, I collect research. Maybe we'll talk about that at some point. But I recently saw a study talking about sort of sexual harassment in the workplace, and still, especially in male-dominated fields, how incredibly prevalent it is. And you know, in some ways, it's you know, it's easy to say, oh, not a big deal. You know, so you get a pat on the butt, or you hear some sexist comments. What's the big deal? Um, but it, it, it is a big deal, and especially if it's an environment, you know, where you have to come to work and you want to be your authentic self and show up every day, and you have to, you know, put, you know, put on the, your, your talk about, you know, sports, you know, your, your defensive, you know, cushioning or padding or whatever mm-hmm. it's called, you know, it's, yeah. um, it's really unfortunate, and I hope, I hope things have changed a lot since the time, you know, I was experiencing it, a, you know, a couple decades ago, but, um, yeah, it was it was challenging, but at the end of the day, I just love my job too much. There were too many great people to let one bad guy, you know, push me aside. Right, you're right. Well, tell me, I'm curious to know how how did you carry yourself back then in that environment, in that that male um, dominated environment? In other words, did you allow yourself to be, you know, to be Jackie Zayner, you know, who you are, or did you find yourself trying to kind of um, fit into that male? Um, you know, that male atmosphere, because it's something, you know, we talk about on the show that women should bring their full selves to the workplace and not try to be anything other than who they are. Was that something that came naturally to you? I would say yes and no. I mean, I do not so much anymore because my daughter won't let me get away with it, but I used to swear like a truck driver. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and growing up, you know, really in the gym, and, I, and it sounds kind of weird, but it was very true. You know, having those early experiences, especially as a young, you know, female with, with men of all ages in a gym-type environment, I think it sort of allowed me to feel super comfortable 
in, you know, a kind of locker room kind of feel. And not that that's, you know, what Goldman was in entirety, no. Um, but it was, you know, it, it, there was a comfort level. Um, was I myself? Yes. You know, and I was really lucky. My, you know, I, I said, you know, I had a negative experience with my boss, but my big boss at the time was this amazing man named Michael Mortera, who was in Liar's Poker, if anyone knows the bond business or interested in sort of Wall Street books. It was a very famous Michael Lewis book. So I had as my big boss, you know, this older Italian, you know, larger than life, ex-Solomon brothers, you know, big personality. And I have to say he was amazing to me. And he, he said he had his desk right beside mine for, for many years. And you know, because I had someone like that who was kind of, in hindsight, I know I know now how much he was sort of protecting me and championing me and that importance of having, you know, a professional champion in that regard. But he really encouraged me to be myself. Am I, you know, I'm a little more outrageous these days in my later years. But was, was I authentically who I was? I would say, yeah, I really was. Yeah, well, that's that's wonderful. I think it's, uh, that's a lesson that I think, you know, women, women in particular need um, to learn. And I think that that's when you, you see success and things start to fall into place is when you are, you know, try, not trying to be someone else, in particular, you know, men-like in that type of, um, in that type of a culture. Um, I, I'd love to know your thoughts on, you know, when we talk about finance and, and today, certainly women are starting businesses so much more today. There's a lot of entrepreneurship happening with women and, I would like to know your thoughts on how we can encourage women to take more of an interest in their financial uh, futures, you know, to, to understand that it's something that they can, uh, that they're capable of understanding and should be more interested in. Yeah, no, it's something I care a lot about. And it's, and it's beyond sort of this idea of just financial literacy, you know, which is, you know, how do you budget? What's a bond? How do I invest? Why should I save for the future but it's it's really in our relationship with money and I'm, I'm so interested in that as as a subject i mean it's true for my own life you know i think we we all have sort of money messages um that we grew up with in terms of you know whether we um how we spend how we save how we um how we think about it and they, they can be really quite profound and some of them can be super empowering, and of course, some of them can be really quite the opposite and can lead you down, you know, a very scary path when it comes to your own or your family's um, economic security. Um, so I do think about that a lot. In fact, um, and I've been, you know, supported from a foundation point of view, um, different financial literacy programs, and I invested actually in this company that's now actually a pretty big deal. I actually heard the first news. Um, sorry, radio advertisement. I was in a restaurant the other day, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's the company I invested in. It was one called LearnVest. Yes, uh, which stands yes. for, you know LearnVest? I do, uh, I do. Tobo. Yes, yeah. yes. That's so I was an angel investor um, with some other women in this company because the whole idea was to make the idea of money, learn, earn, invest, accessible and fun, especially for um, millennial women. Yes. Um, but I, I do think that it's critically important, my gosh. And, you know, I look, you know, I was in the business of money in terms of my career, so obviously, you know, I have a background, but I still find, you know, the whole process sometimes of even investing um, or even, you know, how you think about retirement planning or estate planning, you know, really intimidating. And I think 
uh, frankly, the financial services industry could do a much, 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 much better job of, um, of helping us and particularly helping um, women um, think about how to get involved and get active with their financial lives. I agree. I agree. And I think that's why I was so happy to see that uh, launch. And there's lots of other um, platforms out there that, that are trying to do just that, you know, really presented in a much more non-intimidating fashion. Um, so I think that's terrific. Listen, Jackie, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I would love to, to talk to you about the power of storytelling. Oh, fun. Okay. We'll be right back. Where does one turn when faced with the devastating loss of hair from cancer or other medical conditions? When Jamie Levin, owner of Wig Elegance, Wigadoo, and Rosalind Stella's Wig Boutique, lost her own mother to cancer in 2009, she and her husband Rob decided to take over the full-service family-owned wig salons to honor her mother's memory. What their company offers is the personal and private experience that men, women, and children deserve at such a difficult time. To learn more about their unique services and warm and compassionate staff at all three salons, such as a free consultation with expertise, full education, private booths, and clean set and cutting services, go to wigelegancewigs.com or call 215-945-4900. That's wigelegancewigs.com. 215-945-4900. That phone number again is 215-945-4900. And ask for your special offer as a listener to the show on selected items such as $50 off a synthetic wig or $100 off a human hair wig. That's wigelegancewigs.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch. I am being joined this afternoon by Jackie Zayner, the CEO and president of Women Moving Millions. And uh, just before the break, Jackie, I had mentioned storytelling. I know um, I-, I know why I think stories are a powerful tool, but I understand you do as well. And I wanted to talk about it um, for a few minutes and, of course, cover a little bit about what you're doing currently in the film industry um, to try to, you know, uh, have your mission, you know, ac- accelerated through film. So tell me your thoughts about that stories and why they, um, you know, kind of move people into action. Wow, I love this topic. Um, yes, well, and I'm obsessed with I'm obsessed with a lot of things. Um, but I've always loved movies, right? I mean, to me, it's always been the place I go to escape and just get into another world. And you know, I think storytelling has been around as long as we've been around uh, in terms of you know human history. And there's a quote actually I love. I'm a quote girl too. I collect quotes. Um, but one of the I think of something like the history the history of the world is determined less um, by the battles that are lost and won than by the stories we come to love and believe in. Mm. And to me, that sort of says it all in some ways. It's like you know stories are really what connect us. It's what motivates us to to, to be and to do and and everything else. And you know um, I've having had a successful career on Wall Street and then sort of moving on to do other things. So it's actually what motivated me, and it's this crazy story and way too long maybe to go into detail about, except there's a, like a, a current moment connection, but I actually decided to leave Goldman back in 2002 thinking I was going to go and actually be 
a filmmaker, maybe not a director, but a producer, and I had a vision for um, a Wonder Woman screenplay. I had this idea. It came to me like in, in a moment of, you know, the, the sun and the moon parting um, for this idea of a female superhero character, and I became consumed with this idea again, a million years ago, and so I decided it's more complicated than that, but to leave my Wall Street career, and I was going to go and pursue a, a career in film. So I took a, some film writing, uh, screenwriting courses and started a production company, and, and long story short, um, after a lot of time trying to do something, um, didn't work out, and kind of you know put the lid on that um, container and said, you know what, it's just not my time. There's too much I don't know about the industry, the story I was trying to pursue, the script wasn't right. So I kind of put it to bed for, for a while. And then when I moved to Park City from Connecticut five years ago, of course, it's the home of the Sundance Film Festival. And I was like, my gosh, you know, this is one of the reasons to move here, but also like super cool. It's a chance to you know, get potentially connected and, and really um, understand and, you know, go to the festival and get into this world of independent film. Well, fast forward now, I've since joined the board of, of the Institute, I've been involved with three years, and have become involved in so many ways, funding um, primarily social issue documentaries, um, films like I hope um, maybe some of your listeners have heard of, like The Hunting Ground, which was a a super big film um, that, that uh, was released last year on the epidemic of campus rape and sexual assault. And Lady Gaga and Diane Warren wrote the title track of that song called Till It Happens to You. And it was, mm. if anyone watched the Oscars, oh my gosh, yes. it was, I think, wow. the moment. Yes, it was. At the Oscars. But, you know, I've since immersed myself in sort of the facts around you know, uh, who's both in front of the camera um, and behind the camera. So who's telling the stories and who's in the stories. And not surprising, like so many other industries, women are dramatically underrepresented um, in both as filmmakers, particularly as directors, mm -hmm. um, but also the characters that we see on screen. You know, it's rare for a woman as, as my I'm on the also on the board of the Gina Davis Institute for Gender and Media. And as Gina loves to say, you know, the top the top role portrayed in women in film is that of a princess, which is a good <laughs> job if you can get it. <laughs> you know what, Jackie, you're going to love this. I had um, I'm not sure what I was watching recently, but there was a little girl who said she was asked about being a princess. And she said, I have no interest in being a princess. All they do is sleep and wait to be kissed. <laughs> hey, that, had, that indicates times have changed. Right. Isn't that. that right? I love that. Um, but, yes, yeah, so I think, you know, the the documentaries, the social – the documentaries around social issues I think are, are – um, they're not only taking place, but they really are reaching the millennials in a way that is kind of piquing their interest and making them pay attention to some very important causes. And I think, again, that that's, you know, that's always where the greatest lessons are not only learned, but that really stay with people, you know, differently from, from learning from books and, and lectures and, and school. When you hear a story uh, that touches you in a certain way and kind of moves you to do something differently in your life. It, it stays with you forever. You know, I could not agree more. And, you know, I can't say I watched a lot of docs um, in my history, like, because that would be, you know, work and everything. You kind of get to Friday night and you don't necessarily want to go to the theater and watch a super intense, you know, film. Mm -hmm. um, 
but you know now with with all these platforms, I mean Netflix um, obviously is you know in our in past few years, right? I mean the on-demand component, let alone sort of HBO on demand and everything that we can choose to watch now. Mm-hmm. I find myself you know watching so many more you know, documentaries simply because it's so accessible. And, you know, I think doc clubs actually are the new book clubs. Um, And the resources now, and maybe I'll just um, mention one, uh, one of our members at Women Moving Millions um, created something called the Influence Film Club. So it's Mm influencefilmclub.com. So you can sign up and basically it supports you starting your own documentary film club. So it tells you, I think they've got, oh, hundreds of, of, of documentaries sort of summarized. It'll tell you whether they're on iTunes or Netflix or whatever and give you, um, you know, some questions for Q&A to have around the film. And, you know, it's just so powerful because, you know, it, it's ways that, you know, just like why we want book clubs. We want to read something and engage and talk about it, and documentary films are just, just perfect for that. Yeah. They are. You know, and that leads me to, to another question I had for you. I wanted to talk about, you know, some practical uh, tips and advice from you. Um, it, there's a lot of people out there who, again, are, and women in particular, looking to um, either start organizations and um, groups that support other women or their own businesses. And one of the things I think we all need to learn about is how to uh secure investors, you know, how to raise money. It's such a difficult part of of business. And I wanted to know if you could spend a few minutes talking about some, just some, give some advice on how the best way to go about doing that. How do you do that in an effective way when there's so much competition out there um, for investors? Um, you know, you're kind of up against a lot of different businesses seeking the same thing. Yeah, I think a lot, of, a lot about this because I feel like now I've been on both sides of that table. Right, um, Meaning right. more in the nonprofit space because obviously, um, as we all are, I'm asked a lot for money. So this idea of, you know, when you're either you're, you know, raising money for your own nonprofit or for your cause, whether or not you work for that nonprofit or not is, is a skill I think that, we all want to have. And yes. I don't think it's that different, frankly, from, you know, being an entrepreneur and how you invite people to think about investing, you know, in your company. Um, that being said, you know, I think with the crowdsourcing and all these platforms, I mean, on the one hand, it's super exciting because it's democratized this idea of access to capital um, in such a powerful way. And you see so many amazing companies and projects now funded that would never have, you know, probably been able to attract, you know, the support um, if they if there wasn't, you know, the types of platforms. So this idea of democratizing, you know, capital is, is super interesting. On the other hand, you know, it's like you said, it's so crowded. And right. in some ways there's there can be a sense of entitlement to a certain degree, like I have an idea and it deserves to be funded, and the right. reality is yes. a lot of ideas really don't deserve <laughs> to be funded. Right. They're, like they're, they're just what they are, an interesting, you know, idea. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, and I think a lot about this because I, I have been doing some angel investing um, after LearnVest, which was such an amazing one. I've been re- uh, very committed to um, 
paying it forward and putting some of that money back into women entrepreneurs. I've looked at a lot of companies, especially in the past month or so, and, you know, I had that history, but then I stopped to focus on philanthropy more. Um, But I think really knowing, you know, your story and really doing the research to know that it's a super good idea. And, you know, I think um, in some ways you say, oh, my gosh, you know, everything exists. You know, could the world possibly need another X, Y, or Z? And then you have Uber, and then you have Airbnb, and then you have Pinterest. So, you know, having that great idea, um, but also knowing what makes it unique and why you are the one um, to take that idea forward and then having the skills, and if you don't have them, building the team, of course, that can that can execute on that idea. But, you know, I think the stages of, you know, leaning on your own um, investment, you know, if you don't have that, leaning on, you know, your immediate circle, that friends and family round that believe in you and know you, and then getting to that stage where you're seeking angel funding, you know, is, is a really big step. Um, but there are amazing, I know we have a, a, an angel investing um, community-based one, Park City Angels. There's Golden Seeds, which invests in women entrepreneurs. And there's more, um, there's Springboard. You know, thankfully there are more and more official um, communities that you can, you know, have access into, um, you know, and are pretty democratic in terms of how you access it. But mm-hmm. it's, it's really knowing that you've done your homework, you have a great idea, you've shown sign, some signs of execution, and just having, you know, the confidence to really go out there and tell your story. Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes I, I talk to women and I think there's a, um, th- there's often two types of women. Some are the visionary women, um, which actually, do you consider yourself a visionary or do you actually have, you know, both skills as a visionary and also um, a strategist, you know, a business strategist? And if you have one or the other, um, it is important to, to build a team and find the people who can help you in the areas where, you know, you lack expertise yeah you know i i think i'm both um but i actually have been thinking a lot i write a lot for linkedin i'm a influencer on that platform so whenever i find like a topic interesting i try to find a reason to to write about it and Mm -hmm. i would say even more recently my journey has been a little bit to just understand myself to become much more self-aware and as part of that it's sort of going through some of these um, exercises that allow you to understand what your your what you love, what are your skill sets, what are your talents, what do you bring to the table, and I'd recommend there's a there's a book written by two women I've come to know because I'm just such fans of their work called Collaborative Intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, so the book's called Collaborative Intelligence, and it's written by Angie MacArthur and Donna Markova. And in it, and it's, a, again, a convoluted story how I came to the tool that they use. But one of the tools that they have in there is understanding your thinking talents. So it's like a, a Myers-Briggs or a Colby profile, like there are all these assessment tools. But this one is so interesting, I think, relative to some of the others. Because what it does is you go through these cards and you sort of, you know, it has these different things um, sort of bucketed into four different categories, loving ideas, um, for example, peacekeepers. So it has these things and you, you look through these cards and you say, okay, this is totally true for me. It's sort of true. It's not true. And, it, and the source of the answer sort of comes from a place of, you know, has this always been true for me? Does it give me energy? And when I personally went through um, that assessment and then you map your, the responses out, 
um, it really, for me, was so powerful because it did enable me to articulate what, in fact, I I wouldn't say necessarily always good at, but usually what you're good at is what you like to do and what gives you energy. Mm-hmm. But it gave me language around that. Mm-hmm. And in so doing, I, I, I would say I had, um, I would say, talent in those buckets. I'm definitely more a bigger thinker. I love ideas. I'm very... Um, Sort of, I would say, to your to your description, visionary, um, and I combine that with very relational. Um, where I was not so uh, <laughs> um, talented was on the execution side. Okay. That is definite. Like, like a, for example, if you gave me something from IKEA and asked me to put it together, I, I'll just stick a fork in my eye. <laughs> like, don't ask, don't ask me to put anything together. Don't ask me to fix anything. I totally um, understand that. <laughs> that was super powerful. But I think yeah. understanding yourself. Um, you know, we spend so much time serving others, doing, doing, doing. Mm-hmm. And to take the time to really, especially I think if you're thinking about a career transition or you are entering that entrepreneurial space where you know you've been working in a certain thing and there's something that's just been calling you to do, to take the time to really think about yourself, your talents, what gives you energy, um, I think it's really important. And I don't, I, you know, I, I didn't do it till literally last year. And I, in hindsight, I wish I would have done it decades earlier. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, self-awareness is so incredibly powerful. And unfortunately, we don't tend to do it until we are older, because when we're younger, we're distracted by all kinds of, you know, nonsense. Um, but it is, it, it's very important. You know, Along those lines, there's two things that I wanted to talk to you about. One is because you are involved in so many different um, projects, um, I want to know how you handle overwhelm. Because, you know, in today's world where we have the ability to know and see what's going on um, everywhere all day long, you know, on the – over the entire planet, uh, for me, overwhelm is something that I, I battle every day. And when you're involved when, in, in as many things as you are, I, I'd love to know how you handle that, um, how you manage the information that's coming at you and the information you seek out um, when you're doing research and just managing the different organizations that you're involved with. Yeah, great question. I think we all battle with it. You know, I, I sometimes envy the people that are bored. You know, like I don't think I've, I don't think <laughs> right. I've been bored in 20 years. Right. <laughs> you know, maybe right. at a doctor's office when I forgot my phone in the car or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it is a constant battle for me as well, and it's something you know. It's um, I, I would say I struggle with every single day because I find so many things interesting, mm. and um, you know, and I'm very in a very fortunate position where I, you know, I can make a lot of choice to how I, you know, spend, spend my time. You know, I was, again, not to refer back to a, an article, but I was so, you know, when I get worked up about something, I try to process it and write about it. And I wrote this um, piece called um, Hell Yes, Yes, Maybe, No. And it was sort of these four buckets. And, and, and it's become a tool that I, I really use um, to think about what I say yes to and be willing to let go of, because I'm that type of person where I can't stand to have unanswered emails, you know, and because I'm out there so much, you know, in the public space, you know, I write blog and, you know, I get constant friend requests and can you have this or will yes, you look at this company yes. or do you like this film? And um, so the system that I've started to use, you know, is really a, a process of paring down, not surprisingly, 
and realizing to myself, and this is my, my inner conversation, is I'm not serving anyone well by, by spreading myself too thin. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I did go through this process just last year about saying, okay, what am I going to deeply commit to? What, what gives me the most energy? Where do I think I can add the most value? Um, and can uniquely bring what I bring to the table versus, yeah, I could do something, but you know what, there might be other people who could do that better. Um, so I, I literally put, I, I did this evaluation. I thought everything that's taken up some time, um, headspace or whatever it happens to be, and, and literally write it down on, on paper and split it up into those buckets. Um, and, you know, my, heck yes, sorry to use a bad word, um, H-E double hockey stick, as my daughter likes to say, mom, H-E double <laughs> hockey stick, um, what is in that bucket are, are really just a few things. And then, you know, if there are places where, gosh, you know, I love that, it, it just, but if I spend time there, it means I don't spend at others. I, I have this system now where I try to do one thing. You know, and often it's an introduction to someone who might be interested in that nonprofit. It could be maybe I could write an article or do a few um, uh, tweets or find some way to be supportive. Yes. But then be willing to let go. And then there's that whole massive bucket with really, um, really being able to say, thank you so much. I'm so honored, you know, that you're thinking of me for this board, for this, serve on this committee, but I have to say no. And that is painful. Um, as we all know, beyond belief. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think the clearer you are on what your yeses are, um, hopefully the more peace it can give you around what you say no to. No, I love that. I love that. And I was going to ask, you know, what language do you use um, with those where you have to say, I'm honored, but no, thank you. I guess you just simply say, you know, I'm just exactly exactly what you you did just say. I'm honored. Thank you. And just not able to do it right now. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it's so funny because literally a couple of days ago, you know, I'm on a Facebook um, group with other women philanthropists. I literally asked that exact advice. I said, because I was having one of those days where, you know, so many call requests. And, again, there's so many organizations I love, worthy mm-hmm. people doing yes. amazing things in the world. And if and if you give to one, it means, you know, less to another, whatever. And I posted on this Facebook page. I'm like, help me. Like, what is your language when you want, you know, your no language. Um, yes. And I'm going to put that together in a, in a post because Great. I think we Great. all need that. But yeah, we do. It is exactly that. I'm so honored you're thinking of me. I'm just, at, you know, I just can't take anything else new on. Um, but also I, I really believe in this, you know, and I said it before, but I'll, I'll say it again because I, to me it sort of lets me put my head on the pillow. You know, if you really do care, you know, if it's not a like, oh, my gosh, I don't care about, you know, um, saving sea turtles and wherever <laughs> sea turtles live, you know, that's not your issue at all. Right. But if it is something, you know, if you had time, you would want to do something, really think about just one thing that could take a minute. It could be that intro. It could be something. And if there is just one thing you could do um, to help, you know, meet that request, um, to me, that, that gives me a lot of, you know, peace about saying no. Yeah. Very good. Um, Jackie, we have to take one last break. And when we come back, I would like to talk about why now, why is it that we need to see more women kind of stepping out uh, and leading in the world? What your thoughts are on that? We'll be right back.
There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Where does one turn when faced with the devastating loss of hair from cancer or other medical conditions? When Jamie Levin, owner of Wig Elegance, Wigadoo, and Rosalind Stella's Wig Boutique, lost her own mother to cancer in 2009, she and her husband Rob decided to take over the full-service family-owned wig salons to honor her mother's memory. What their company offers is the personal and private experience that men, women, and children deserve at such a difficult time. To learn more about their unique services and warm and compassionate staff at all three salons, such as a free consultation with expertise, full education, private booths, and clean set and cutting services, go to wigelegancewigs.com or call 215-945-4900. That's wigelegancewigs.com. 215-945-4900. That phone number again is 215-945-4900. And ask for your special offer as a listener to the show on selected items such as $50 off a synthetic wig or $100 off a human hair wig. That's wigelegancewigs.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Women to Watch. I'm so honored and thrilled to be speaking this afternoon with Jackie Zayner. Uh, again, Jackie is the CEO and president of Women Moving Millions. Um, I'd love to get in uh, for a few minutes, Jackie. Why, why now do we think that the world needs more women leading? Um, I think I think there's a lot of discussion around this topic, and uh, and I think there's a lot of different reasons. What are your thoughts on it? Um, well, I think the world has needed more great women leaders for a long time. In fact, the whole history of the world might right. be yes. um, <laughs> might be in that. <laughs> but yeah, it's sort of you know I love to lean on. I'm Canadian, as mentioned, and our prime minister, um, our new prime minister, is a young man, a young handsome man, actually named Justin Trudeau. And, you know, someone asked him, because when he made his cabinet appointments, he, he, he appointed 50, 50% women, and people said, well, why would you do that? And he said, hello, it's 2016. <laughs> Last time I checked, women were half the population. Right, um, right. So it's sort of this notion. I mean, in some ways, I, I can step back and go, oh, my gosh, really, 2016, and we're still, to some degree, making the case. Um, for why women? Why? What are the benefits of diversity? What are the benefits um, to having um, women at decision-making tables? Um, and in fact, you know, for for years, I've obsessed 
obsessively collect, collected research on the topic. In fact, I'm just about to hit 300. I, uh, because I'm so obsess, um, obsessive, I love to ch- share this with other people who are equally obsessive. So on my website, JackieZaner.com, if you, on the resource section, I've aggregated, believe it or not, now almost 300 reports in every topic from giving to women and girls to leadership, um, diversity and inclusion, um, gender and media, you name the topic, mm-hmm. that really makes the case for why this matters. And in fact, you know, there's for every report I put uh, on the list, there is probably 10 that I haven't. Whether um, so, there's, it's been tremendously researched now that there really is value um, to companies having diversity and senior leadership for corporate boards and what that means for governance, um, what it means at a local and community level when women, um, whether it be here in the U.S. or really anywhere in the world, are given the opportunity um, to earn a living. What that means for the family in terms of a reinvestment of of that income in mm-hmm. education and health. So, you know, there's so much evidence in now, but sadly, when you look at the numbers, um, things have barely changed, you know, in the past decade, and right. you know, or even two decades. I mean, certainly since the 1950s or 60s and that first wave of, I would say, the women's rights and feminist movement, a lot has changed. But, you know, again, as my friend Gina Davis likes to say, you know, we're stuck at this 17%, which was 17%, whether it be percentage of women, um, you know, in leadership roles in corporate America or on boards or, um, you know, in various roles, you know, on television. Um, But it really is time, in my view, and that's what my work in the world has really been about, um, that we really stretch and push um, to reach this idea of critical mass of women in leadership roles across, you know, all sectors of society. And you know, my son, who's who's um, 18, sometimes says, "Mom, really, you really think anything would be different if we had that?" And I said, "You know, Matt, I do, but regardless of whether that may or may not be true, shouldn't it be an experiment that we all just want to play out?" Um, and I do think. I mean, there's lots of studies, obviously, indicating that there would be a difference. Um, but you know, I, I just really believe it. I just think the world is going to be better for everyone when we, yes, have great, responsible, talented, competent leaders, but when mm-hmm. that leadership is more diverse. Yes, yes, and and I agree. I think, you know, with the topic of peace alone, I mean, I think if you look historically at, at what has happened and the lack of, of women in leadership roles, I, I love how you said to your son, don't you think it's time that we just, you know, give it a try? Um, I think you're so right. And, you know, I wanted to know what kind of conversations you have a daughter and a son. And yeah, I, when you look at your daughter in particular, really the, you know, I think as we get older, we're always saying, gosh, you know, times were simpler when we were growing up. I truly think that that's the case now that it's, it's just so difficult for young people today because of the exposure, uh, with internet. And when we look at young women in particular and, and what they're up against in just trying to kind of figure out who they are and what's important, I'd love to know what kind of conversations you have with her, uh, about her finding her own voice and not worrying about what, you know, all the rest of her peers are doing and really just look to her own, um, strengths and gifts. What do you say to her? Well, gosh, it's it's never one conversation. It's right. It's yeah. just an ongoing um, conversation. And 
You know, I think the issues, you know, I think they're different for boys and girls. I'm not saying there isn't, you know, some of the similarities. You know, I think for girls, um, in my experience, being one and raising one and being around a lot of them, you know, it is, to your point, a lot about peer pressure and a lot about being, the, you know, the mean girl thing. And I do see that play out, sadly, mm-hmm. a lot. Yes. And, you know, I, of course, every mother thinks their daughter is perfect. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think my daughter is pretty, pretty amazing girl, but she, she really does, you know, have a heart. And we were, she was writing an application for something, a girls' leadership program that she's applying to and had to write all these essays. It was really quite an intense process. So, it was interesting because she had to talk about herself and her talents and what makes her unique. And one thing that I think is really true for her is this idea of being inclusive mm-hmm. um, and being that nice girl and that kind girl. And I would say that's who she is authentically, but it's also something that we value um, a lot as a, as a family. Um, I think the other issue that I really worry about and care a lot about is just the sexualization of girls and the pressure for them to dress in a certain way or to be wanted sexually as a definition of their likability even. Um, And just the the pressure around that is something I, you know, we talk a lot about and thankfully there are great films (laughs) like Misrepresentation, Mm -hmm. you know, in particularly one of my favorite films by Jennifer Siebel Newsom, um, who also did one of my second favorite films around men and masculinity called uh, The Mask You Live In. And I actually think as of today, um, it's out on, on Netflix and I cannot recommend that film enough for anyone who's just interested in social norms and the pressure around um, girls and boys and men and women. But, you know, we talk a lot about it, you know, and we, you know, it's just that on ongoing dialogue, um, you know, that we have. And we're, we're very fortunate that both my husband and I are very present parents, him more than me. He's been a, a stay-at-home dad. He does other things, but he was also at Goldman and has a flexible um, career now. And I, they do say, and I think it's so important with girls to to, to have relationships, um, a strong relationship with their father, which obviously yes. isn't always doable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's really made a huge difference with her and her self-confidence. And being involved in sports, yes. that's like huge. Yes. You yes. know, and she's, a, I think that's huge for girls. Yeah, I agree. Um, can you tell me, Jackie, what um, perhaps I know you've had many mentors in your life and you've had such a wonderful, you know, full um, life and opportunity to meet some really interesting and amazing people. Is there one mentor that has stood out for you that that said something that has stayed with you? Oh, my gosh. Um, so many. Um, I was like, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> Is I, that I, a whole other show? Like, because the, I know you I yeah, know it's, you love a whole other show. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, I, so many. I mean, Pat Mitchell, who's a legendary sort of woman in in the media space, was the president of PBS um, for many years and co-founded TED Women, a conference I absolutely love, mm. um, has been such a dear friend and mentor, you know, to me. She's very involved with me um, getting active in film and on the Sundance board. Um so I, I don't know if it's one thing, like, you know, I could say one quote, but she just defined for me what it means to be a woman supporting women, you know, and I've always tried to be that. And I feel like, you know, I think it's the Madeleine Albright, you know, special quote, you know, there's, or maybe it's Ann Richard. Someone said, you know, there's a special place in H-E double hockey stick um, for women. who <laughs> I appreciate other, you're doing that for the women. radio purposes. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. 
sorry about that. Um, <laughs> you know, but I, I really believe that. And, you know, the women that have, you know, still to this day that I, I look to as just transformational are those ones that through, you know, not just when it served them or not when it was convenient, but just really, really believed in, in supporting other women. So Pat Mitchell is, is certainly at the top of the list, you know, colleagues that I had, you know, at, at Goldman Sachs, like Ann Kaplan, and I've had the great um, blessing to, to, to get to know Gloria Steinem over, mm. over the years, and, and her too. I mean, she's, I think she just turned 83 or 82 not too long ago. Yeah, and, and still doing you know, it, you know, it, still spreading the, oh the good work, you know, the good work. Yeah, yeah, so so many. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I think it's you're so right about it. it. Just needs to be a continual, you know, conversation. And and you know, for me, every week I I learn something incredible uh, from one of my guests. And one of the things, you know, you and I don't know each other personally, but I've been following your work and I read everything you put out there. And something I admire so greatly is the positivity with which you do everything. And my last question for you, because we only have a few minutes, would be how you continue to remain so positive in a world where, again, we, are, we have such access and exposure to uh, everything that's going on in the world. And there's some really scary things. You know, the, the world's a scary place. And um, as someone who, you know, wants to make the world a better place, how do you continue to remain positive um, around some of the things that we see and hear every day. Yeah, another constant um, journey. Um, you know, it's. I think I am optimistic by nature. I think there is a lot of personality sort of that's built in and having, you know, parents and a mother who was like that and was always, you know, make the world a better place, show up with a smile on your face and, you know, soup on the stove and all of that. Um, but I think, too, and I have that in my family, certainly with my husband, who's amazing. And, you know, I'm just, you know, my daughter, we, we bought this little thing for her at a craft um, show recently that is a little etching on driftwood that I'm too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> um, so <laughs> oh, I, I love I think that. That's, <laughs> I yeah. think that's part of it. Yeah. But I, I also, you know, think my faith, you know, I'm, I, I am a strong, I'm a Christian and, you know, I know and honor, you know, people's choices in terms of, you know, their belief system and what, you know, works for them. And, but for me, it's, it is going to, when I, especially where I, when I get down and, you know, there's a lot of horrible things, you know, obviously that happen in the world every single moment of every day. Um, but I'm not serving anyone and I'm certainly not serving God if I go to that, you know, curl up in a ball and go in a corner and say, well, if I don't do anything, you know, I'm not going to make a difference anyways. So, you know, I do believe that I, you know, with my whole, whole heart, you know, that we, we are all, we all can make a difference. And it's the little things, you know, as we, you know, it's in my kids, you know, it's, it's, if it's being nice to someone in line, you know, it's letting a car in front of you, even when, you know, not having road rage, it's the little things that you can do every single day. And it's the bigger things. And you know, I do believe in, you know, is it an axiom, you know, to much to those who which much is given, much is expected. And that's that's a know, perfect. I believe in that. I believe in yeah. it. Thank you. You know what? That's a perfect ending to the show, Jackie. Thank you so much for taking time with Thank us you. today. I appreciate it. That's it, it everyone. With you. Thank you. That's it, everyone, Thanks. for this week of Women to Watch. Have a great week and we'll we'll see you next week.